adhering to structure and you get chaos my friend shadow man was a tap dancing hamburger that he made. i don't know that place just had like a weird feeling the whole time i was there you fucking suck dude put this in your fucking like gooch which is like your hottest the tentacle first grabbed jim's right arm and then his left his arms were pulled from their sockets it was like pulling off a fly's wing this is the one and only Spooky Boners Podcast. I am John Prout with Katie Prout and a literal eggplant, Joshua Katona. I am a literal eggplant. So, again, <laughs> we are back yeah. at it when we are doing a longer boner episode. Man, that is long overdue on some recognition as yeah. being one of the most badass people in history. True, true. Especially, my favorite part is when he murdered an innocent man. <laughs> that was really which badass. isn't a spoiler <laughs> so but in the end you might end up feeling like you know maybe that man deserved it so without uh <laughs> yeah kinda, we'll find out if he's, if he's the that's hero or villain true. so without any other spoilers we'll get into it so it's the facts that behind this incredible manhunt that make the story truly unbelievable this is the mad trapper of rat river all right, so the Dirty 30s were kind of no country, but Canada during the Great Depression was an especially difficult place to live. The Dust Bowl that plagued so much of the United States also wrecked absolute havoc on the Canadian landscape. Right, so the Northwest Territories, Ooh. as if they weren't rough enough, being just a desolate wasteland of cold and barren climate, with wildlife of grizzly bears, foxes, moose, lynx, wolverines, muskets, buffalo, deer, just a couple of the terrifying species it's almost like the australia of canada they were also suffering from the great depression yeah um there was just like i don't know it was just like a really uh not a great time um to be in canada but people were still trying to no, get it was an, it was an it was absolute shit time mm-hmm. it was an absolute shit time for a whole lot of people y'all ever read the grapes of wrath if you hadn't go <laughs> educate yourselves because <laughs> go back to school it's a very important aspect uh of like you know we talk about immigration you know what the problem is is california is really what the problem is and uh you know we'll circle back to that but i just want to let you know that okies not an okay slang term for american citizens just saying okay <laughs> thank you Pat. uh but yeah you know so we people yeah, you're welcome. But fleeing to Canada, also not doing great, whatever. They haven't been doing great for a long time. I just Everyone's all up Canada's ass all the time about how cool they are. But now what's happening? Prime Minister's crumbling, massive scandal. They're done. It's over. And Back perhaps in- it all started in the 30s. Perhaps it all started in the 30s. Yeah, um, which is when, as a response to the economic and humanitarian crisis within its country because of the Great Depression and because of the Dust Bowl, Canada began to close its borders and police immigrants, which doesn't sound familiar at all. Um, And yet uh, one managed to make it through, and that was a man who went by the name Albert Johnson. Just not to get too political, but imagine if trump wasn't being so strict how many albert johnson this country might have you know had to deal with so maybe we should thank him that's a good point yeah (laughs) think about all all of the cabins that would be erected in the middle of nowhere terrifying also i really love i love out the name albert the name albert johnson i like (laughs) you show up in canada right you clearly cross through alberta to get there Mm -hmm. right and you show up and you're like hey what's your name Albert uh, Albert Johnson. My name's Albert Johnson. How are you? <laughs> like, come on. Like, that's not that's not a real yeah, anything. Yeah. My name's my name's Wisconsin Wisco Williams. What's yours? Like, come on. Well, little is known about Johnson, where he came from, or why he was there, uh, what his real name was, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's turn to the little that we do know for sure. The first record we have of his existence begins in Fort McPherson in July of 1931, and it's a record with the law. It's at this time that Johnson has his first run-in with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Mounted Police. Um, I tried to yep, hurt Royal Canadian Mounted Police. 
the constable uh, Edgar Millen, who's a 30-year-old man um, honor born in Belfast, Ireland. Perhaps, given what happened at their second and final meeting, it was a dark kind of fate that Millen was the one who was out on a routine patrol of Fort McPherson that sunny day in July, and so was the one alerted to the arrival of a strange, lonely white man to the fort, a man named Albert Johnson. Yeah, so Albert, you know, venturing north from the U.S. or wherever he came from, just trying to get alone. I just pictured this guy, like, stopping at the first trade post. and was like, hey, dude, I got to get away from where I've been. This guy's like, oh, yeah, you want to head up right to, you know, Fort McPherson? He's like, well, um, I'm into, like, trapping and stuff. Is that going to be okay? And he's like, yeah, they got a lot of Indians doing that up there, and they trap. You'll be good friends. And, like, the moment he leaves, this dude just gets out his, like, quill and pen. He's like, hey, constable, check this guy as soon as he, like, arrives in your town. And he just wants to be left alone. Yeah, I feel like you're taking his side here. I don't, I don't know about that. Well, like I said, if he's the hero or villain. Oh, okay. Out. Oh, okay. Well, we'll find. I don't out. want to make too much of a narrative, but we, you know, we will find out. We'll see. You're <laughs> spending some. You're you're doing some lopsided journalism here, son. As I think what they call it mm-hmm. in um, the industry. In the industry, yeah. Um, where we now say indigenous instead of Indians, but when we're quoting from back in the day, maybe it gets a little slippery. Um, you know, I was also wondering: Did they call? Do they call indigenous the, the indigenous population of Canada Indians, John? Is that I think they call them by their local tribe and <laughs> Indians. Like, they call them Indians or the local like Okinawa or Okanajiba tri- tribe. I, I think one of those is a city in Japan. <laughs> yeah, like literally, they call them like whatever the fuck you want them to call them. That's an island right. in the Pacific, John. Anyway, it's like Okanajiba. I don't know what the fuck it is. You pronounce it. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, uh, Millen, protocol said that the RMCP had to approach any newcomer they saw at the fort, ask them about their business. And like we mentioned, uh, this was not an especially great time to be a stranger in Canada. Yeah, exactly. They were very hostile towards any immigrants coming up. Just He was a big man in town, and he was checking Johnson real quick, just letting him know. Checking hey, his what are you doing here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Checking mm-hmm. his Johnson. <laughs> Well, it's during this encounter that Millen informs Johnson that if he is to do any trapping in the Northwest Territories, that he has to have a license. And conversation is reportedly scarce between the two men, because other than Johnson saying that he's just visiting the fort for supplies, it ends quickly. And Millen gets the feeling that Johnson wants nothing to do with the authorities. The constable figures that the solitary man is just another dude who has spent too much time in the woods and has lost touch with humanity. And after all, he wasn't even living at the fort. He was living in a log cabin 60 miles away on the Rat River. Uh, I want to I want to find a river. I want to name it Rat River. I want like, like I need to own a river and then I'm going to name it Rat River because who names yeah. a river? It's Rat another name. River. Well, it's another name like Albert Johnson where it's just like. What What's kind of there? person do you have to be? Yeah, just to. Oil. I think I've seen a couple of rats around here. We'll name it Rat River. That's that's good. I think all you gotta do is just go disappear for a while, come back, and just like have a new identity. Be like, mm-hmm. who are you? I'm no longer Josh Katona. Where were you? And just make up where you were. Yeah. Like how Millen just brushes us off, like just another man that lost his soul to the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, no, mm-hmm. it's fine. We got plenty of those there, and as long as they keep quiet, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's not. That's what the wilderness is for. Just like the local crackhead on the roads. Exactly. Just don't try not to pee on anyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> you might need a license for that. <laughs> um, no, Johnson made his way north into Canada actually a few years earlier in the fall of 1927. Uh, from where no one really knows for sure, although we believe that he came from the Corn Belt in the U.S. And during his journey north, Johnson stopped at trade posts to gather supplies clothing and even a canoe johnson met with many of the locals during his trip north and many of them recalled him being a very strong smart and outdoorsy man they were impressed by his skills by his physicality and his overall presence or confidence that radiated from him uh one couple one couple in particular the bentons were quite fond of him the woman especially 
And in a 1973 uh, CBC radio documentary about the Mad Trapper, the elderly Mrs. Benson said, I noticed his shoulders <laughs> and he had such broad shoulders. As I say, you know, when you're busy cooking in the kitchen, you know, that's all you remember most about him and his shoulders. And this was after a couple of glasses of whiskeys that they had with the Mad Trapper. So Josh, you're probably onto something where they were infatuated by the size of his Johnson in between his massive Alberta legs. Oh, <laughs> massive Alberta legs. <laughs> Really um, quick shout out to CBC Radio. Yeah. We love <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The first broadcast in 1973 um, um, between the between our lives. A lot of good info, a lot of original recordings from people that actually experienced the whole Mad Trapper hunt. So mm-hmm. check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, good stuff. Super yeah. interesting stuff. Super interesting stuff. Okay. Okay. All right. So he's rolling into town. He's having to go. He's having to go at all the young ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, well, that's with, the that's not what the record shows, but it is the life that I know you would hope that he would have, having never had it yourself. It's um, what happened. We it's, could say he's rolling out of town now, yeah. having his way with the ladies, and now he's yeah. ready to be solitude. So later on that fall, well, we're going to meet a few. So later on in that fall in 1931, so after uh, after Millen and Johnson have their meeting, um, and they do that like stare off, whatever, whatever, where they barely talk to each other. We call that in the Navy. He was big dick in him. Sorry. Just want to get that out there real nope. quick. Yeah, I heard that was burbling up from deep inside you. I'm glad we can make space for it here. <laughs> he was uh, big dicking him. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. Local white settlers. BDH for short. Residents report their traps being big dicked and their catches stolen. <laughs> Albert is prime, the prime suspect, really the prime suspect number one since he's a drifter who hates everybody. Um, so they believe that he's been stealing from their traps. And that December, two Royal Canadian Mounted Police returned to Johnson's cabin after dog sledding 60 miles. Sounds like the worst. Dog sledding 60 miles in waist-deep snow at 30 degrees below. These two Royal Canadian Mounted Police are Constable King and Constable Bernard. They're basically Constable Millen's entire force. The two men leave their dogs. Great army of two. (laughs) Well, and their dogs, their poor, poor dogs, um, which they leave on the frozen rat river and they approach on foot to the trapper's cabin. A wisp of smoke rises from the makeshift cabin's chimney. Someone is home. King approaches from the front as Bernard moves to the side to provide cover. After multiple times knocking on the door, the RCMP constables get no response. As the men circle the small cabin, they catch glimpses of Albert Johnson looking through the windows right out at them. Each time he Ooh. does, yeah, oof. each time he does, Johnson then quickly covers the windows with bags or, of grain or other items. Eventually, after some time watching the trapper cover up his windows with his boxes of Cheerios or whatever, the authorities realize... Honey Nut Cheerios. Uh-huh. Frosted flakes. Best kind. <laughs> Canadios. Uh, <laughs> I still buy Honey Nut Cheerios, and I'm a 31-year-old adult. But that's what happens when you live alone. <laughs> so, There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the authorities realized that this man was not willing to cooperate. Can't imagine what tipped them off. Uh, so the constables <laughs> left to turn around to get a search warrant. Mm. Yeah. So Okay. <laughs> This is just insane. So they're like 70 miles from town, middle of fucking nowhere. It's negative 30 out. They have yep. just journeyed for like days. Yep. And is this just the like courtesy of Canadians or do they not want to do it? But they, they leave to go get a search warrant. You think about today's authorities where they're all, oh, you know, they're too stressed. They're working too many hours. Uh, br- police brutality. Like mm-hmm. imagine that. A bold face lie, but sure. Continue. Exactly. Right. Uh, you got cameras on everyone. But so these guys actually, they, they turn around and they're going to ride back when they could have easily just kicked the door down. Only witness is like a squirrel if there's even anything out there. Okay, Jen. Well, here's here's the thing, bud. Let me tell you a little thing about civilization, okay? And in, in the human in the human race, uh, we stop adhering to structure and you get chaos, my friend. You want to go back into a black hole? You fucking do that. You start kicking in men's doors in sovereign land that he's staying there, and we're we're right back to the Huns, bud. All right? You can't go fucking doing that shit. This isn't Canadian hospitality. I'm not giving them that. 
I'm but the just, U.S. has been doing it to countries for like the last will, 50 years. Well, they're lesser countries, <laughs> to be fair. All right. Oh, so he's a lesser man. So I guess <laughs> no. I could just kicked it down. No, he was he was a great man. We already know that. Um, also, I will say I will say that I'm currently in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, I live at a higher latitude than Milwaukee, and I am not this fucking Canadian. The people here, I don't know what it is, but like Canadians have infested Wisconsin. Yeah. It's just like, dude, you're you're in southern Wisconsin. Why are you talking like you're fucking from Alberta? Mm-hmm. Why are you talking like an Albert Johnson? Huh? I'm going to start calling him that. Why are you talking like an Albert Johnson? You should definitely ask people at the hotel that I'm sure it'll make great friendships for you. So about a week later after all of this, King and Bernard return with a search warrant and a bunch of other volunteers. But this time, however, it doesn't take long for the law to get a response from Johnson. When King tries to force the door open in the face of continued silence, Johnson Johnson shoots him right through the wood of the door. A short firefight ensues with it being just like that, but with it being nearly a two-day trip via dog sled back to the village and with King wounded, and Johnson being so bunkered down in his cabin, they all leave the area. Yeah. So okay. once again, Johnson has won this battle against the RCMP. And I'm going to take a moment to uh, praise the unsung heroes of this story. The dog sled team, um, more of the dogs that every time they go back, they're the ones pulling these guys through the negative 30 below in the middle of the winter going 60 plus miles the dogs are literally dying on these trails just so that the canadians can come back to get their ass kicked by this one man team <laughs> dogs we appreciate you no i'm just saying uh the one thing i can't one thing i will say here call into question all right some of these some mm-hmm. of these facts that you're mm-hmm. spitting at me here um waist high snow how tall is your average husky <laughs> They run on top of the snow. That's what a sled does. Have you ever heard of snowshoes? What are you doing? No, no. The sled does. The sled does. But, but, but. What's the the weight of your average husky and the snow that's been there for months and it's negative 30? It's not powder, dude. It's ice. You're powder. Well, you know, poetic license. Just, just think about waist deep snow on top. You know what happened is that I'm these guys just showed up and they just started shooting at this guy. They want to make you think they, they went and got this permit. No, they just showed up, kicked the door in, and were just trying to like just skull fuck this man in submission. And he wasn't having it because he's an American, because he's a goddamn right. American by the tyrants of Canada, and he was <laughs> done having it. That's they awesome. probably they probably did. The thing is though, the story that we are led to believe is about them getting their ass kicked anyway. So I guess how much of it do they want to lie? They really Busted in there, trying to, you know, take him down. And then we're giving the whole fucking story away now. Well, then let's hear about it. Because when they all come back, this is the final, like, encounter that they're going to have. Albert Johnson, the mad trapper of the Northwest Territories, and the constables. When the constables come back, they bring with them nine, which is almost five times as many officers as they started out with, right? Two to nine. It's half the population of the town. Uh-huh. They're very like patient in what they do, I guess. They yeah, take they, time. They came back with nine heavily armed men, 42 dogs, and 20 pounds of dynamite. And again, they call out to Johnson after circling the cabin. And again, they're answered with gunfire. Right. So this guy, yeah. So he could have left at any point. But he has a vendetta against this country, either just because they decided to go poke the bear, you know, when he first got to town or because they came to check him with a search warrant, but he's held up and he's ready to do battle and they're about to regret it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a, when this massive shoot shootout breaks out, at least massive in the amount of artillery that's being aimed at Albert, you have men firing from all angles, trying to get as close as they can and break windows or open the door uh, to get at Albert Johnson. Dynamite is even being thrown after the men have to actually thaw it out in their coat pockets and yet the RCMP is still being held at bay by the mad trapper. Finally, by luck. But could you imagine your job being the guy who has to sit there and thaw dynamite while people are <laughs> shooting? Like, you fucking suck, dude. Put this in your fucking, like, gooch, which is, like, your hottest area on your body. Don't pull it out until it's ready to blow up. Like, how the fuck do you know it's ready? I don't know. No, dude, no, that guy no. goes up with the dead dogs. Yeah, that's a useful <laughs> illumination, a good question that we don't have answers to. 
but finally, by luck, one of these gooch thawed sticks of dynamite uh, lands <laughs> on top of the cabin <laughs> and it explodes and it levels the structure. For a moment, there is silence mm. in the air and a welcoming warmth is brought on to the freezing men by the burning cabin. I guess just imagine it almost be like a serene moment where like you think you finally get your man. It's just freezing out. It's like early morning, pitch dark, and there's this warmth coming on by the fire where you almost feel a peace and you believe that this man you've been hunting is, you know, good as dead. Like who's going to survive that? Literally it's burning rubble. Mm-hmm. And one of the men, one of the, probably whoever had the worst luck to be the Gooch star, that was the man who had to approach what was left of the burning cabin and see what was going on. This man leans in closer and then the air around him cracks and a bullet just misses him. The mad trapper has begun shooting again, and the physically and mentally drained men are forced to fall back to a nearby campsite. Some reported later that they could hear the trapper laughing at them in the dark. This is classic weak Canadian military (laughs) tactics, is what this is. We're tired. We've had to fire our guns several times, right? And now we're getting laughed at. This is classic Canadian military. I'm cold. I'm cold. I'd rather... oh. Yeah, you're really, drinking maple syrup at home there, eh? You know, I, guess, why? I don't know what you think like, you guys are like making this. fun of Canadians when a we grew up using Canadian money in the grocery store half the time, just where we're located. Your favorite beer yeah, is but Labatt's, so I am a huge fan of John Labatt, number one Canadian import. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I will also say that um, Canadian money sucks. So <laughs> there's that. You can't put it in the coin machines because it just gets returned back to you because it's not real money. So if you're rooting against Canada and not rooting for Albert, who do you want to win in this? Chaos. Chaos <laughs> is a ladder. <laughs> chaos is fair. a ladder, John. Well, I guess well, that's fair. To go, though, from chaos until actually organized, you, I think, Josh, maybe you'll be able to appreciate the constables a little bit more because the next morning after the fire dies down and the dark's not so scary, the men return hesitantly and they find the cabin truly vacant. That's when they search the cabin for any clues of who... Albert Johnson might actually be and they check traps from the local indigenous tribes to see if they've been stolen from or not but they find nothing what happens next down in Canada's history and still is their country's largest manhunt now since um Josh has me on the stand I bring to you only the facts and the facts only, only. The facts it has never been declared or proven that he actually tampered with any of the, we'll say, local tribes, not of Native American or Indians, but of local people who have been there for a long time. The only probable cause was that they had alleged that Albert Johnson was tampering with these traps. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's some nice, that's some finally some nice news in the midst of all of this destruction brought on. He's by free! The- <laughs> Canadian tyrants. That's a good point for Albert Johnson not being the worst. Maybe he's trying to trying to live alone. Hey man, uh, you just want to be left the fuck alone. Yeah. Whoever had you no, know, you've had a weekend. You go to Nordhouse, Josh, and some dude says, "Hey, wake up, buddy. Got to search it." Hey, hey, you, fu- hey, you fucking with traps around here, bud? No, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, oh, you may. What are you doing? All right, you know what? Immediately, my very first thought: I'm gonna shoot you in the chest. That's that's. <laughs> I don't. Hey, man. I don't know how your night was. So it could be depending on the kind of trip. Well, the manhunt for the uh, Mad Trapper is about to begin, and the Mad Trapper's journey throughout the Northwest Passage, or nope, throughout the Northwest Territories. The Northwest Passage is a separate but related thing, but Ooh. something also that is a drinking song <laughs> that's not a nice. And Josh, I think, are unrelated, completely unrelated. Anyway, yep, just maybe we can play that at the end. Um, but the journey through the Northwest Territories would take the Mad Trapper over 150 miles across some of the most rugged and unbearable conditions and terrain in the world. The Trapper hiked through the North- Northwest Territories into Yukon and across an ice wall along the Richardson Mountains that spans currently over 7,000 feet. All the while, he was chased by the RCMP. Dozens of volunteers, including local people from local indigenous tribes, and also, for the first time in the world, an airplane was used to aid in the search and provide supplies for the men. So the first time in any case of a manhunt or anything like that, that an airplane was used. 
by the police. Enter Captain Watt May, a.k.a. World War One ace fighter pilot, a.k.a. Canadian hero, a.k.a. ultimate badass. So this guy's flying abilities were on par with Han Solo. He could land literally <laughs> on any terrain in the Northwest Territory, turn around and take off and be back, you know, with supplies, uh, medical, dogs, whatever you needed. He was the man and he really gave them an edge at this point in the hunt mm-hmm. for Albert Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the addition of the airplane allowed them- I heard that he did the Kessel Run in 6.2 parsecs. <laughs> I believe it, man. You put him behind the Lion Falcon. <laughs> That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Uh, right on par with the Red Baron, actually. Yeah, so May was actually in the dogfight during World War One that ultimately led to the Red Baron being shot down and dying. The addition of the airplane allowed the men to finally catch up with Johnson. Up until then, they believed Johnson was running around basically like a chicken with his head cut off, an albeit very angry, aggressive, loner, murderer chicken. But American had, chicken. An American chicken, that is true. Uh, but he had a method for his madness. Like it was starting to become clear, he did for all of his actions. During his flight across the cold, Johnson ended each day hiking back about half the distance he had covered camping off of what he guessed was the main trail to make sure that he could keep an eye on the search party that was looking for him. It also let him get an idea of the terrain ahead by going forward and then doubling a little bit back. Also, he would use tracks from caribou herds to hide his footprints. And all these different plans and advantages uh, helped protect him, but the advantage of the airplane led them led the constable and the search party to finally get close enough to albert where they caught him in a riverbank that's where he was confronted by constable edgar millen the first man to greet him at fork mcpherson all the way back in july from the rcmp and perhaps the man in some ways who could have avoided all of this he looked johnson directly in the eyes once more yelled at him to disarm and was struck by a bullet and died on the spot Fucking you dead, bro. You dead. Pretty much. That guy was a sure shot. So, yeah, Edgar Millen, the poor boy from Belfast, who was the only Royal Canadian Mount Police officer that spoke with them and the last one known to have had a conversation. And really, any impressions, any knowledge of what he had on the trapper just died with them in that spot. So I would like to say, I would like to say that I, I, I think my theory before I know we're going to dive into it, but my theory is that the mad trapper was a sand person from Tatooine, right? <laughs> and it, 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 it's easily the easy takeaway here, right? Hiding his footprints in the caribou herds, right? This was, this was not done by sand people, right? Why? Why was it not done by sand people, John? Because they traveled side by side to hide their numbers. Oh, they traveled each other's footprints to hide their numbers. Oh, my yeah. God. Exactly. Uh, so that's my money. That's where we're at here. But how did he get here? Well. And. In Hoth. An asteroid. Fair enough. Fair enough. Also, real quick, this was. this. So this was a global story at this point because this was during the time when the new medium radio had taken over. So people were literally tuning into these shows, you know, kind of like during the time of War of the Worlds and uh, the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. Now they were all listening to this manhunt, especially after Edgar Millen got shot. Mm-hmm. All around the flat earth, huh? All the around. entire flat earth from corner wow. to corner. Flat corner earth. to corner. Mm-hmm. Even the cat had to take a break from knocking off continents and let everyone listen. <laughs> Jeez. That's just really something. Well, so if, uh, you know, we, we could say Johnson's biggest mistake would be the fact that he shot and killed somebody but perhaps the biggest mistake for him personally or maybe it was just an act of fate of just fate depending on the fact that he had just killed someone was that uh, after fleeing the site of the murder with all of these furious constables and volunteers after him because now he's shot a cop um, he made a turn seeking shelter off of a riverbank and that turn allowed the airplane to locate him and notify the search party. Despite their exhaustion, the dogs and the men shook themselves and pushed on, for finally they were just a day from the man they had been hunting for the ne- nearly the past uh, 53 days. All these search parties are being supplied by this airplane, dog sleds, food, and whatnot. So scientists, when they look back on this, they're saying, you know, average male just um, going throughout the day, you burn about 2,500,000 calories. They're saying in these conditions and the rate of distance you're moving, you have to 2,500 calories for like a normal, <laughs> for a normal <laughs> diet. Okay, okay. Well, male, 
Normal male. A male. Male. No, yeah. you said twenty five hundred thousand, and I know how strong and muscular you are. So maybe for you, twenty five hundred thousand is the number. But yeah, twenty five hundred. Uh, they say it would take at least ten thousand calories to sustain a human in these conditions, going through the Northwest Territories. Uh, Albert Johnson was doing this literally off of like scraps and whatever he was catching while being on the run, most of the time eating it raw, being that he couldn't have any fire or else it would, you know, alert people of where he was at. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the Mounties probably could like survive and with just a couple cups of syrup, you know, you just, mm. you just tap them into the trees mm. and then you just, you just drink it right out of there. And you just, you got yourself a little meal for the whole day. Just keep you going. On February 17th, 1932, the 53-day manhunt that had stretched over 150 miles of northwest Canada during the most grueling time of the year in the worst decade of the century came to an end. Johnson, who was now only a couple of days from Alaska after having ventured through much of Yukon, was now nearly free. Alaska was the wildest of the wild back then, and had he made it that far, it's likely he would have rode off into the sunset and been a legend forever about the one that got away. A dog team had set about ahead of the party and tracked down Johnson. They began firing on him. Leading the scout team was a Sergeant Hersey, a World War I Army veteran. He was firing at Johnson with a... How do we talk about guns? What's that? A three point three zero three hundred rifle. <laughs> I grew up in the Big same gun. as John, and we we speak a little bit of a different language. But it's all right. Blood's thicker than words, or something like that. Um, that's how that. That's how that. Exactly how that phrase goes, Kate. That's that's exactly. You nailed it. Good job. Thank you so much. I have a master's degree. Uh, so <laughs> particular gun was good for yeah, us. So it's, it's just a bullet diameter. Sorry. Oh, thank for the you. 300. Oh, okay. Um, big gun, big gun. Big gun. Okay. Big gun goes pow, pow. And Johnson was estimated to be about 200 yards away. Each time the army veteran hit him, the bullets were ricocheting off the pots and pans that were strapped around his body. Can you describe that for us for a second, John? <laughs> so, pan shot. Wait, if anyone I, is saw... that real? Are you serious? So, that's if anyone... just... yeah, that's true. This is based on a true story. What? Um, so, if anyone saw the Battle of Buster Scrooge that came out on Netflix a couple of months ago, it was a bunch of short story, Old West um, little episodes. It was really cool, but one of them was this guy and they called it the pan shot. He was covered in pots and pans running around and they're trying to shoot him. And every time, you know, it's hitting one of his pots, hitting one of his pans, he yells pan shot. So that's kind of what I envisioned. This literally happened. What, how many years ago are we? 80 some like yeah. 80. This guy's wearing all this gear, essentially armor. Meanwhile, he tracked this, you know, almost 150 miles across the Northwest territories and Where they're the shooting at him. Getting everything and finding it. He really is like a scrounger. He's amazing at being able to do that. Well, I don't know if you've ever Dude's played. Like an, yeah, I don't know if you've ever played like an RPG or anything before, Kate. But typically, yeah. yeah, you kill an animal. It drops some. It drops some gold. It drops maybe some uh, animal parts. And sometimes you'll get a sword. Right. No, Every so often, you might you get a pan. Were, you don't know. I thought you guys were always like easily bullied losers for playing those games, but it turns out you were actually learning survival skills that I don't have. It was actually. And the funny part is we were the bullies. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your spoon. So wearing all these pans, wearing all the thrusting a spoon around perhaps johnson stops turns and in one smooth motion slings his gun off his back and presses it to his shoulder he fires and strikes hersey in the knee the bullet bounces off and goes into his elbow and then passes through his heart next to his heart Like next to his heart, he survives. Okay, that is not cool. The fact that it went through his knee and then went to his elbow and then yeah, next to his heart. I guess that's just less metal. It's the JFK. uh, It's the JFK magic bullet, is what it is. Oh, oh, you have twelve bullet wounds in your body. That was done by one bullet. (laughs) Duh. Not this is nothing. Nothing. No one shot from three hundred yards. It obviously, <laughs> it the bullet bounced. The guy's using the same kind of bullets. Why not? 
Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. Good, good guy. Good guy. Right up there with Albert. So um, Hersey falls into the snow and he can see somehow he's still alive and can see that Johnson is now steadily taking a knee and aiming for the killed shot. At this point of the story, it went from just being unbelievable and this kind of like an outlaw out West running from, you know, the law to taking more of a turn for like, he's a terrifying cold-blooded killer. He could have kept running, you know, he might've even gotten away. Like they said, he's getting close to Alaska he was still being chased, but he he took the time to stop, shot him once, and then he wanted to make sure this dude was going to be dead and took time to aim for that kill shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's kind Good. of freaky. <laughs> Good man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great man. Uh, he digs him. I mean, I would, okay, like I'm being sarcastic, but like, yeah, I would choose him on my team, obviously. He seems kind of like a perfect, uh, like, somebody who will help you survive anything so like yeah he's great yeah and we kind of still wonder like we'll get into like who the fuck this guy was literally everyone in the rcmp were all veterans of world war one so like he's being chased by some guys who've seen this action yet he's still eluding them and he's shooting them and killing them like left and right and taking better shots than they are yeah you know by american standards we should probably put them on our money yeah is what i'm getting that's what that's what i'm getting well you could make right on just put a right on the 20 dollar bill Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'd be kind of dope. Like Canadian American. <laughs> oh wait, no, another murderer was on the twenty already. We we would need to do a different one. So Hersey digs himself into the snow at this point and avoids being shot and survives long enough for the rest of the party to arrive and provide cover. Johnson, who's perhaps by now has realized that this was the end of the run for him, lays down on his stomach on the frozen river, and one last time, the order to lay down arms is yelled at the mad trapper and one last time the mad trapper responds with gunfire a bullet fired from a volunteer of the search party strikes the albert johnson the mad trapper the big dick shoulders from behind in the lower back killing the man and solidifying that the RCMP always catch their man, or that's what their sort of reputation is. Now, this is where the story gets even more unbelievable. Is that the reputation that the RCMP always catches? Is that what it is? That, yeah, no matter how long or stubborn or <laughs> poorly tactic, we'll get them. Mm-hmm. They just simply will keep on going. On the Mad Trapper's body, after the smoke had cleared from the gunshots and everyone has sort of chilled out a little bit on their adrenaline, uh, the the RCMP found pearls, $2,500 in cash, American cash, a thirty thirty Savage rifle, a sawed-off shotgun, and a twenty two rifle, homemade snowshoes that were incredibly heavy, Beecham pills, which may have been laxatives, half a dozen teeth with gold fillings, which could have come out of his own head, a knife, a dead squirrel, and a bird. Mm. But with all of that very specific mm. pocket lint, mm. there was no clue as to who this man actually was, what his real name was, and where he was from. So they had him like strapped up. And they took him back, um, hung him in a barn. And this is where they were, you know, checking him out, trying to figure out who he was. And the photos of him, you can look up online. Even in death, when they caught him, it looked like the Mad Trapper was still laughing at them maniacally even though they had just brought him down. This, the way it looks like to me is he was experiencing the greatest orgasm of his life while watching the fallout of an atomic bomb. His hair was all blown back, his face pulled tight, and he had a haunting grimace. Mm-hmm. Part of this was because he was so malnourished and emancipated. And no, he was just freed. on the brink of death. But Emaciated. Thank you, emaciated. <laughs> Very different meetings. Although he was in a way sort of freed on his own, yeah. Yeah, he was freed from the the chase, but he, in a way, mm-hmm. still kind of won after emaciated doing animal. a journey no man had ever done. Mm-hmm. He crossed the Continental Divide in a place that had never been crossed back in the 1930s. It's just an, it's insane, man. And to this day, there's no conclusion on who the trapper was. Many have said that he was their dad, their grandfather. People have like long started to create legends about you know their their father who skipped out of town, maybe actually having been him, but. In 2009, a team of scientists uncovered his body to examine it, which is a separate story about who gets rights to do that and what like the sort of ethics around just digging up people's bodies are. But they wanted to try and find answers to this legend of the man. They ended up getting permission from the townspeople where the Mad Trapper is buried. 
um, since they didn't have next of kin. So still, even after they did this ex- this examination, they were unable to determine who he was. Um, but using new DNA technology, the scientists were able to narrow down where the trapper may have come from. And they narrowed it down to either being from the Corn Belt, sort of Midwest region of America, or perhaps from Scandinavia. They also discovered that he was suffering from scoliosis. The man had a planet of the apes chimp shuffle and was stomping all over these fools. Unless one of you guys want to say that, because I don't know how to say Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, yeah, he had scoliosis. Um, He had a horrible walking gait, and the way I envision it is, like, Watch Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg. Horrible movie, but they did get the chimp walk down pretty good. Mm -hmm. And this guy hobbling through the Mount Richardson Again, just outrunning everyone. Like, who, I don't know who the fuck this guy was. He's popping pills up and right. Maybe he was a meth addict. Maybe he was a sand person. Perhaps he was a time traveler just trying to get back to his ship. Well, I think that's something worth pointing out, too, is just highlighting again that this man, whoever he was, wore homemade snowshoes that were large, awkward, and heavy. Um, and yet he still ran harder tra- and traverse the terrain they had never even stepped foot on and he somehow knew which ravines would l- lead to where he crossed the continental divide in an area that no man had actually ever crossed before no recorded man all the while doing this with less than three hours of sunlight a day that is wild okay i will say i will say like you know y'all y'all you're from big families right? i mean you're from big family <laughs> <laughs> I have so much math. No, so y'all are y'all from a big family, right? And you know you've walked up. I mean, personally, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I remember, I remember walking up and just smacking my older brothers before, just giving a big old whack across the back of the head, and then tear, you know, for no other reason other than like, hey, chase me, and and just tearing across, yeah, tearing across, you know, all of God's creation at unbelievable mock speeds. Um, on her way. So I, I, I feel like there's a there's a parallel here, right? This guy was really just looking for some attention. That's all it was. It's so like you know his slap on the back of the head was putting a bullet in the chest of a mountie. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he have just walked into the town and shot Edgar Mill in the moment well, he approached he had, him instead of he had to play coy first, John. He had to play chance. a little hard to get. Come on, bud. Do you not know the uh, game? Of, you don't know the game of love. What's wrong with you here? So, you know, plays a little coy, goes out into his cabin, right? Please come knocking. What's up? Oh, I do I do not want to talk to you. Do not come by near me, right? And then they come back like, oh, you got to talk to us. He's like, oh, I'm going to shoot you in the chest. And then, and then chase me, chase me. This is all just a very sad man looking for some love, looking for some attention. <laughs> I understand. I understand. In a way, we're all... Johnson. Well, yeah, this is uh why why are people rooting for him even though he's technically a bad guy and why is this story still like, because they're still about? good in him um, just like Darth Vader just like our just like us hitting our siblings and running away for attention um why also I think part of the mystery people are curious about you know he's a cold blooded killer but you have to respect the man's skills and discipline and determination um. There's only motives. He doesn't seem like he had any family, no any other home. Just the only motive of living was to keep evading the RCMP and just to live in peace out in the woods. The fact that he accomplished this incredible physical feat by like going pretty much barefoot or in these like homemade snowshoes while being malnourished is in one of the harshest climates on earth during the most brutal times of the year is pretty impossible even with today's technology. Um and yet he chose this place. He was deeply, deeply trying to make it so he could live in this place. And so why right. did he, he went there for a reason? I think he was on a death sentence. He was just going to ride out gun blazing. Mm-hmm. Not as romantic as Josh's theory, but this guy, he went there for, he just, maybe something bad happened. Maybe he was gang related. Maybe he was super fucked up from the war, World War One. Who knows where he was before, but it was pretty evident that he was ready to just shoot the first thing that came by. And then after that, it was just like the most dangerous game, just running from the chase. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he just went out guns a blazing the only way he knew how. Mm-hmm. And then one of the one of the comments on uh, the radio show from Between Our Lives is they even said like that man knew how to fill a doorway with lead. He must have been some kind of 
And of course, all the Canadians think all the gangsters come from Chicago. And that's something that's interesting too. Um, so he seems to me, in some ways, like the this like sort of proto survivalist as we think of them today. All the people, you know, if you think about like the Ruby Ridge people or Waco or the Bundy standoff in Oregon a couple of years ago, um, these survivalists or maybe these like li- live off the land, like anti government, like anti grid sort of thing. That there's like something that I think, especially in Americans, we romanticize that, or many of us do, especially when they're like, even though it can be actually kind of freaky if anybody. Yeah, and he was really popular in America, and they have a plaque in him for Canada. And a lot of the people were rooting for him at the time because they were blaming the government for all their hardships. It was the Great mm-hmm. Depression, and they seen him as this like the man just trying to do whatever he wants. And mm-hmm. once again, the law just bringing him down. Federal government not letting one to mess with it. Although maybe, you know, he was stealing. Hey, but, allegedly, so allegedly. We know what happens when you start just accusing people of things that happen, right? Have you ever heard of the West Memphis Three, right? Not cool. But one of you guys mentioned that maybe that Albert Johnson was thought of as like a criminal from Chicago, which is interesting because maybe not a criminal from Chicago, but um, something that I think that if you remember, so those DNA tests were showing that he was of Scandinavian descent. And then he may have had a, an accent, but they're not sure. It's because no, the only person who ever really heard him talk was Millen, and Millen was dead after the second time you met him. Um, yeah. um, but so from this person, it was said either Scandinavian or from the Corn Belt of the American Midwest, which includes like Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, so not too far off from the Chicago area. Um and it's funny that I could see how you can confuse the two. Uh-huh. Uh, people do all the time. Easily, easily done. Although yeah, Scandinavia. Full of white people Iowa. eating. Well, I don't know if they actually like corn is like a product of Scandinavia, but yeah. Um, I don't know if they can grow corn there. I don't know if they can grow anything there. Hmm. It just seems ice. They're just eating ice. Probably really good you could have just been a fresh immigrant to America, too. Since back yeah. then it was such a big melting pot of the world in New York yeah. and all that. So uh, so our guest, like really regardless of where he was originally coming from, like we do think that he emigrated from the uh, American Midwest, from the Corn Belt, no matter what. Because in 1931, um, many people had reason to flee the Corn Belt with a severe drought that was tormenting everybody there. Um, and then all of those droughts that started to contribute to the American Dust Bowl. Um, the Dust Bowl actually saw the largest migration in the shortest amount of time in U.S. history. Uh, between 1930 and 1940, 3.5 million desperate people migrated out of the Plain State area in search of food, jobs, and anything that might allow them to have a better chance at rebuilding their lives. I'll just say the only thing with that is he showed up in 1930s, but that has, doesn't mean that you know the effects of the Dust Bowl didn't happen prior to that because the climate is changing like that happens over time. Yeah, no, because these storms started in the late 20s and, and then started going through the yeah, 30s. Exactly. So he, like it was bad time. It was like happening right around then. Um, so during that time, that so this great migration from the Dust Bowl, uh, from the Great Plains region, which he which his DNA showed that he could have been from. Um, it's also one of those rare natural disasters that affected everybody, regardless of their class. So speaking of California, and um, we talked earlier about Grapes of Wrath very earlier, um, there was this survey by the Bureau of Agricultural Economics that showed that nearly half of the uh, migrant families who arrived in California in the 1930s, during the Dust Bowl, during the Great Depression, were doing farm work before they migrated. So that meant they were farmers and laborers, but the other, but nearly one third of the rest were professional or white collar workers before the Dust Bowl made them flee. Why that's important is that they may have been professional or white collar workers like Albert Johnson, the mad trapper who was found to, after a death, have had two, what, $2,500 in American cash. cash. That meant he also had the teeth in his pocket were probably from his own mouth, the gold cap teeth that fell out from malnutrition, and he kept them. Teeth with gold fillings was something that was almost unheard of at the time in either country or the Corn Belt, unless you were upper class. So this upper, perhaps this like soft hand upper class dude just went completely bananas during the Dust Bowl and during the Depression time hightailed it into Canada and proceeded to become this incredible survivalist. 
um, and kept his gold teeth in his pocket to remind them of that. It's like an Into the Wild, but almost with a good ending. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just a... <laughs> almost slight, round it up slightly more close to a good yeah, ending. Yeah, we'll round it up. Like, he's, he would have survived. It was man that killed him yeah. and not, like, tainted meat. Yeah. You know. And hubris. Although maybe you could say hubris. And, and hubris. Yeah. And hubris. No, that's the mad trapper of Rat River. Uh, should we? Should we? Should we? Maybe touch on where we allocated this information, where we gleaned it from. We did get a lot of it from the CBC broadcast of Between Our Lives radio show, nineteen seventy-three. A lot of good info. Then also, at least for me, I don't know you guys. Um, the book, The Death of Albert Johnson, Mad Trapper mm-hmm. of Rat River. Real quick read, real cool. Cause it actually has photos from the original manhunt and it has the story of getting albert along with stories written by good old captain may uh staff sergeant shaw and art bows so a couple point of views of what went down you can decide whether or not you know he was the hero or villain so i ordered a book from amazon and they stole my money Uh that's all i have to say about that well that's what happens when you buy shit from amazon instead of your local independent bookstore I know it's exactly what it, that's exactly what it was. Uh, Amazon just as bad as Canadians. That's my last thoughts. And Californians. So yeah, thanks for joining us again on Spooky Boners podcast. As always, stay spooky. Stay spooky. It was the greatest manhunt in the history of the North. For weeks and weeks they trailed in. Hardships that he endured, we folks will never know. Once when they had him surrounded while trailing him through the snow, he aimed another deadly shot, let another mount low. Still on and on they trailed him, but the trapper he knew his game. Backtrack on his trailer This man they thought insane Now the chances of his escape For the trapper they were too slim They hunted him by day They hunted him by night This man hunt they must win Then just in the evening twilight He was climbing up a hill Trapper sighted his trailer and he aimed a shot to kill. Down deep in the snow for shelter with bullets flying low. He aimed another deadly shot and another mounty low. The rest of them heard the shooting and quickly joined the Greatest of the man. Hunt.